0: Fourth Watch starts now. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on The Fourth Watch Radio Network. I hope everyone's having a blessed week. Tonight's going to be the second part of the Occult Awakening series. We'll be breaking some new ground for many of you listening tonight. We've got a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and start the adventure. Submitted for the approval of The Fourth Watch Radio Network. I call this episode The Occult Awakening Volume 2 Order of the Werewolf with special guest Doc Marquis. When we hear the word werewolf, we generally think about horror movies or comic books. We think of a mythical creature that devours human flesh under the full moon. There are many ideas that we've been sold by Hollywood over the years. Unfortunately, behind the hype, we find a dark realm of occult rituals and even human sacrifice. There are many different facets of werewolf cults, and tonight we'll be exposing some of the practices that seem to be demonizing many of the practitioners. I'd like to start out tonight by sharing the definition of lycanthropy. Lycanthropy, the supernatural transformation of a person into a wolf. Then the medical world in trying to deal with demon possession created a medical definition claiming that lycanthropy is actually a form of madness involving the delusion of being an animal, usually a wolf, with correspondingly altered behavior. Then we get into the other word or term which is lichen or lycanthrope, which is the root word of lycanthropy. Now mythically... A lichen is defined as a special Transylvanian class of werewolf, but modernly it's used as a generalized term for a man-wolf or a werewolf. As I began my research, I found lycanthropy being promoted as an optional form of black magic for practicing occultists. This was interesting. Apparently there are people who practice the occult arts and various forms of magic who teach how to project oneself into a lichen form. So basically they're teaching people how to project themselves into a transformation of a werewolf. Interestingly, lycanthropy takes us back into the book of Daniel in the Bible in dealing with a cursed king, Nebuchadnezzar, who fell into a bad case of lycanthropy in chapter 4. We'll cover that later on. We have many cases of werewolf-type creatures being recorded in history and even showing up in many folk tales and children's stories. We even have some interesting correlations to the Native American Indian accounts where we find the records of skinwalkers or shapeshifters. But now I want to get back to the different werewolf cults. So what we have here first is a group of occultists who are teaching that you can project yourself into a lichen state or a state of lycanthropy. And the way it's explained, it sounds very similar to the beginning stages of astral projection. They recommend practicing the techniques four times a week. They explain it all like a workout program you would do with a trainer. I couldn't believe what I was reading. The idea is to allow the inner beast to manifest physically. This is also based on the belief that we are animals who have evolved over time from beasts. But what's taking place here is satanic rituals are being performed and after summoning so many different demons over time, these people are falling into a cursed state of existence. According to many researchers, a true werewolf transformation is extremely rare, and it isn't something that many people can actually take on. It would require high-level rituals and extreme experience to successfully transform into a werewolf. But it is believed among many historians and researchers that with enough practice, full transformations are extremely possible and have been occurring since the beginning of time. I'm not going to go into the rituals or the training or conditioning that goes into becoming a werewolf because it's purely demonic and there's no glory in any of that. But it seems to have some major correlations to meditating your consciousness into a different plane. And the result over time is a mental transformation. That's phase one, basically. And then phase two, you work yourself eventually into a physical transformation once you are inhabited by these different demons or spirit beings. The target audience for these practices are seasoned witches, advanced occultists, and high-level Satanists. I have to reiterate, the transformations are demons possessing the host and shredding his or her mind and body to more closely resemble the demon that's empowering the body. The transformation is truly a demonic possessive manifestation. And that really is my theory on the werewolf phenomena, no doubt about it. The demons are intentionally summoned and through major rituals and practices and achievements in the occult world, the demons will shred down a human into a cursed state of lycanthropy or a werewolf, whichever term you prefer to use. Some of you may be thinking right now, this all sounds totally absurd. And it does. But let me ask you this. Did you know that if you take a cute little pink pig from a farm and let it go into the wild... Within three months, that same pig is covered in coarse, bristly, dark hair, and it's now growing tusks. Not only has it transformed into a hairy and horned beast, but it's also transformed into a violent behaving mammal. It's amazing what changes can come upon a living body when certain environments are applied, spiritually and physically. Now, as we get a little deeper into research, beyond the mainstream occult practices, we find the Order of the Werewolf, or sometimes called the Werewolf Order, which is much more discreet and extremely elite. We're talking about the highest levels of Satanism outside of the Illuminati, said to have a grasp on some of the key political actors and players on the world scene. This is an underground secret occult society that many people won't ever even hear about. The one thing that all werewolf cults and orders have in common, is the practice of reclaiming the beast inside of you. At one point, Anton LaVey's daughter and her husband, Nicholas Shrek, had left the Church of Satan, and they were considered semi-high-ups in one particular werewolf order. Which particular order or sect, unfortunately, I don't know. There's always going to be certain aspects of the werewolf orders that are so tight-lipped. We'll never get a full story but it's speculated that it was an easy transition into the werewolf order because they had always followed Anton LaVey's teachings about the beast within. One homosexual sect of mainstream werewolf magic explained how becoming a Lycan is really bringing out the Baphomet in one's own self. For those of you who don't know, the Baphomet is the goat-headed god we see in the pentagram, and we see this in all sorts of satanic and witchcraft paraphernalia. It's really easy to get caught up on all these modern occult societies, but we can't forget that there have been documented cases of werewolf phenomena in various cultures worldwide throughout history. And now I want to cover a few of those cases. In the 16th century town of Dole, France, a proclamation was publicly read in the town square. Its contents gave permission for the people to track down and kill a werewolf that had been terrorizing the village. While walking through the forest a group of peasants heard the screams of a small child accompanied by the howling of a wolf. When they arrived they saw a wounded child fighting off a monstrous creature that they later identified as Giles Garnier. When a 10 year old boy disappeared in the vicinity of Garnier's home he was arrested and he confessed to being a werewolf. He was then burned at the stake. Interestingly. Garnier not only admitted to being a werewolf, but he gave a strange story of being a hermit, living in the woods, who was in communication with a demonic entity who brought forth the transformation. There were multiple children who fell victim to this demonic beast in the French woods of Dole. We know that Germany has a rich and dark occult history. According to old historic records, in 1640, the German city of Griefswald became overrun with werewolves. The population of these beasts grew so large that any human who ventured out after dark was in danger of being accosted by one of them. A group of students decided that they had had enough and they devised a plan. Their first attempt failed miserably according to some sources, but they then regrouped with more people and a revised plan of attack. According to multiple historic sources, they gathered all their silver goblets, plates, buttons and melted them down for bullets. Armed and ready, they struck out into the night to challenge the werewolves. After it was over, the people of Greveswald once again could venture out in the evening, and the phenomena stopped in that area. One of the worst ever lycanthropes was the werewolf of Chalons, otherwise known as the Demon Tailor. He was arraigned in Paris on 14th of December, 1598, on murder charges which were so appalling that the court ordered all documents of the hearing to be destroyed. Even his real name has become lost in history, leaving behind only the scarred historic title, the Demon Tailor. Burnt to death for his crimes, he was believed to decoy children of both sexes into his shop, and having abused them, he would slice their throats and then powder and dress their bodies. In the twilight, under the shape of a wolf, he roamed the woods to leap out on stray passers-by, and then tear their throats to shreds. Barrels of bleached bones were found concealed in his cellars, as well as other foul and hideous things. It was said that he died unrepentant and blaspheming all the way down. In 1521, Jean Boyne, Inquisitor of Besancon, tried three locals for having made a pact with the devil and for practicing lycanthropy. These men became known historically as the werewolves of Polygne, France. It all started when these men came under suspicion when a traveler passing through the area was attacked by a wolf. While defending himself, he was able to wound the animal, forcing it to retreat. Following the trail of the injured creature, the man came upon a hut where he found a local resident, Mikhail Verdun. Under the care of his wife, who was washing a wound on his body, he noticed the wound seemed to be a sympathetic wound. So the man noted the authorities. Arrested and tortured, Verdun admitted that he was a shapeshifter. He also revealed the names of his two werewolf accomplices. He then also confessed to hideous crimes, such as murder and eating human flesh. The three men were promptly executed. So we've covered some pretty interesting historical accounts. Some may chalk them up to superstition, although a handful of the accounts involve government and trials, leaving behind historic legends, if you will. But the interesting thing we see that connects all of our stories tonight is lycanthropy which is openly documented as an occult practice of mental and physical transformation by the workings of demons. As I've already stated, they seek to devour human flesh and drink human blood, according to almost every major historical account we can find. Now, with all of that said, we now want to go to the line and welcome my good friend Doc Marquis to bring his insight into the discussion. Brother Doc, welcome back to the Fourth Watch. How are you tonight?
1: I am doing very good. I've been busy working on this new DVD series since I just finished the old one, you know, um, Secrets of the Illuminati. Oh, yes. And um, this next one, well, comes to be another one of those 14, 15 DVD-long series. Wow.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, when you try to tell many Christians about these types of topics, they tend to go into denial. And they say, oh, no, no, you're you're just a conspiracy theorist or... You know, oh, well, that's just in the movies. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. But the reality of it is, you got to know your enemy. Because if you don't know what the enemy's doing, you're subject to attack and you're not going to know how to handle it.
1: Well, I've always told everyone, you better know the enemy because the enemy certainly knows you.
0: You know, growing up in church, one of the things that I always heard was the devil's biggest deception was to convince people he doesn't exist. Mm hmm. And that's what's happening now. People think that it's all movies, it's all TV, it's all made up entertainment. And that's dangerous, especially in the church, because they don't realize how powerful the adversary is. We've got to be on guard. The Bible talks about we're called to be on guard because the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking to devour whoever he can devour.
1: Yes.
0: Now, tonight we're going to be talking about the order of the werewolf. Last week we talked about witchcraft. We kind of dug into witchcraft. We did a little more than scratch the surface, but we brought it from a different perspective than I've covered in the past. And ten, tonight we're moving into the Order of the Werewolf. This is one of those things that I think a lot of controversy surrounds because, first of all, there's a lot of fascination. The world seems to be fascinated with werewolves. The movies, and the movies go back. It's They're not just modern. We're talking back even in the 70s, even before you had the, the Universal Monsters the Wolfman, the idea of a werewolf fascinates people. And Doc's done a lot of research on this. I've done quite a bit of research on this. And we're really disgusted that we're seeing all these different myths kind of surface about what it is to be a werewolf. You know, and and the same types of myths around vampirism. And we're going to cover that in another show. I'm going to go ahead and pass the mic over to Doc because I'm sure he's got some things he wants to say. Well, yes, you see,
1: um, the first, Known recorded case of micanthapy. This time in Daniel chapter four, verses twenty nine through thirty three. Now listen to this carefully, ladies and gentlemen, and tell me if this doesn't sound familiar as far as um, what people are calling werewolves. Uh, picking up in um, verse twenty nine, at the end of twelve months, he walked into the palace. We're speaking of Nebuchadnezzar now, of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, "Is not this great?" Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the power of my might and for the honor of my majesty. Look at the horrendous sin of pride going on right there. You know, he was saying I, my, all the time, instead of recognizing that this was something that was allowed by God. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grasses, oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the most high wills in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will. The same hour, was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men, and he did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Perfect description of a person with a taste of mycanthropy.
0: Some people try to come back and they try to argue that and say no, because it talked about eagle's feathers. The eagle's feathers were a description. You know, look at a werewolf. I mean, their, their, their fur is literally s- just scorched out and bunched up. I'd say it's a pretty great description of a werewolf.
1: It really is. You see, those people who don't understand mycanthropy really don't understand what's going on here. Because the thing is, this is um, not just a recognized um, medical condition. It's also a spiritual condition because Nebuchadnezzar had sinned greatly with pride. And we find out that the first sin ever created was through pride, and that's what led Lucifer to lead a third of the armies against God. Now, there are some people who actually believe, and folks, let me tell you, um, the knowledge I'm about to give you does not come from research. I was in the Illuminati. I've seen these things before. Now, there was a ridiculous and I mean it's a ridiculous notion that if you watch the movie The Howling and certain other movies along that hill it shows you what really happens when a person transforms and all this and I have to tell you ladies and gentlemen that's absolute rubbish. I really don't know how that generally got started but that is not how it happens. You see demonic possession First of all, is what is needed if you're going to create a case of genuine lycanthropy? And by that, I mean a person who is suffering from lycanthropy through the occult. Now, believe it or not, you can make a person into a werewolf, not the way they show in Hollywood movies. No, what's going on? is that the individual is going through layers and layers and layers and layers upon layers of demonic possession. This is done purposely to where at the end, once there's enough layering of demonic possession, literally speaking, there's just about no one um, home anymore. That person is for all intents and purposes a mindless beast. And the reason werewolf legend became so prominent was those people who were suffering from this type of demonic lycanthropy, where they were very unkempt, their hair would go down all the way b- b- beyond their spines. If they had body hair, it was going everywhere and would be accelerated, could be accelerated through the um, demonic possession. Then. um Toenails and their fingernails would grow to an unheard of length. And, um, because of, um, what they would be doing as far as, as far as feeding upon human flesh, animal flesh, their teeth would be broken off and it become, um, jagged and gnarly. And when you, if you ever got a chance to look into their eyes and live to tell the tale, you would have seen that there was no humanity there. You would have just seen some sort of demonic presence. And so this is what true lycanthropy is all about. It happens, and it takes many, many, many years to create a true um, person um, who's suffering from lycanthropy through demonic possession. And I'll tell you right now, they are almost impossible to control. Most of the time, people like that will be held in cages until
0: they're needed to go kill someone. Like I said earlier, there's a lot of myths surrounding the werewolf cult. And what we have here is a major lie that the werewolves are basically created by the cult leaders. They create these werewolves, and then the werewolves can transform from man to wolf, wolf to man, But they're basically slaves, almost like a bodyguard. They'll keep them around as bodyguards. And a werewolf is not going to be ordered around by some foolish mortal.
1: (laughs) Think about what we we just said. They're supposed to be acting as bodyguards, right? Right. Now, isn't that um, the same thing in that um, movie on werewolves, um, The Underworld? What was it called? Yeah, The Underworld. Yeah. And I think it had three or four parts to it. And basically you find out that there's some sort of of territorial dispute between vampires and werewolves. And we find this same ridiculous theme in um, the Twilight series. Vampires against werewolves. Yet... When we take a look at what's going on via Hollywood, they're making um, these movies into some sort of romanticized fantasies now. So it takes away from the bitter, true nature of the evil of vampires and werewolves. I mean, we look at the movies Twilight. Bella can't, it seems, can't make up a mind between Jacob and who's a werewolf and the other one who's a vampire. And, you know, it looks like some sort of love triangle and it's very romantic. There's heartbreak, there's drama. Heaven protect me from drama. I can't stand drama. And so these things have a very appealing nature. As I said, the evil behind it It's not heard of in the movies, but, you know, the glorified, romanticized part of all these things are drawing people in by the tens of thousands every year.
0: And again, we know how the movies are used by the Illuminati, by major different occult groups. The movies are used to condition people and pre-program people to certain mindsets. Now, when we go back to Twilight... We see the whole, and I haven't seen the whole Twilight series or anything, but I'm familiar. I've seen a little, I've seen bits and pieces. And what we have here is we're, we're seeing that the vampires have feelings. They love just like we love. And then we see the werewolves have feelings and they love just like we love and they hurt just like we hurt. And so right off the bat, these, that that whole series of movies and books causes us to reason with these demonic creatures,
1: we empathize. We can associate with them. You know that's why you take the evil parts of it out. You see, in the original movie, the werewolf Lon Chaney, who played, who was the actor who played the werewolf. I mean, they showed the evil behind it in the in the original movie, but they also put in a bit of a romantic twist there. It made him look like you know. He was just a victim. You know, the story goes, he was bit by a werewolf so he can become a werewolf. And again, that is garbage, people. That is absolute tummy rot. It's God's wallop. You know, it doesn't work like that. This requires years and years and years of layering demonic possession upon on um, um, that individual, whoever is going to become a um, lecon elect- elect- So when you look at the movies, people, for goodness sakes, I want you to consider, look at these movies, take the rose-colored glasses off, and when you're watching these romanticized movies, I want you to see very carefully how they've taken the true evil nature of either werewolves, you know, or the vampires out of the movies. They're just victims, you know, or they've become romanticized. Well, you know, let's throw in, you know, a love interest
0: here with a, you know, um, plausible plot line. I got I got one. Let me, let me one-up you there. Why don't we take a guy who's got Parkinson's disease and turn him into a werewolf and then make him the all-star basketball player for the high school football team and call it Teen Wolf? Because that's what we saw in the 80s. People already feel bad for Michael J. Fox because of his condition, and they're taking him and they're putting him into a Teen Wolf situation. Now, now he's the werewolf. And everyone loves him and accepts him and he's able to transform into the wolf in public and people love it and they crave it. And that's in the 80s. They made made the idea of a werewolf totally acceptable socially, culturally, even to the point of high school students being werewolves. They make these people out to be heroes.
1: Have you ever heard of the first wife going by Hebraic tradition known as Lilith? Yes. You see, Lilith was supposed to have been the very first wife of Adam, not Eve, but Lilith. However, because Lilith refused to lay down with Adam one night, she had sinned and God cast her out of Eden, and she became the mother of all demons because she actually started mating with demons, and as a result creatures known as werewolves and vampires were born. That's a very old Hebraic story, but supposedly, if we go by that tradition, that's where werewolves and vampires come from. Now, there are known cases throughout history um, of lycanthropy throughout the centuries um, and it's the same thing with vampires, but we'll get into that in another show. But um, these people um, actually had these genuine medical, if you want to call them malady or conditions, in which the people genuinely thought that they were werewolves.
0: A lot of people will think about The Howling being some very true-to-life werewolf movie. And I've even heard people who claim that they've been werewolves or part of the werewolf cult. You know, that's the movie you want to see because that really shows the the reality. And, you know, and, and I don't recommend anyone watch it. It's not a good movie. It's got nudity in it. It's got, you know, some language. It's got a lot of satanic occult. A lot of issues. Yeah, a lot of issues. We'll just, we'll just put that umbrella over it. But when I'm watching, I'm watching and watching and watching. I'm waiting for this transformation to take place. You know, I just got done listening to a Christian speaker say, this is the movie you want to watch. It's going to teach you a lot about how a werewolf transforms. So I checked it out, and let me tell you, I was not impressed. I thought it was pretty ridiculous. And, I mean, it's obviously not real. But the the storyline behind that was that the producer, some of the producers of the film, they were connected to the Order of the Werewolf. And they basically were trying to make a movie that promoted their beliefs and their group. That was the story. And then there was a rumor that they actually filmed a real person transforming... Into a werewolf. Now I'm sorry, but that's not what happened. When I watched the when I watched the video, there's no way this is real. First of all, I mean it, it, it's a step below claymation. <laughs> I mean <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, okay, th- th- this had actually said that this possibly could have been a real werewolf transformation, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, <laughs> but uh, the one
1: I'm thinking of, I know, I know. If it's the one I'm thinking of, I know what you are talking about. It was. So bad. It was so laughable. And you know what's even more interesting? Let's go back with what you were saying you know, about these stories. Now, you and I both know, according to the original storyline, um, werewolves um, or people stricken with lycanthropy transmute on the nights of a full moon, correct?
0: Right, that's the story.
1: Right, and that usually lasts for three days until you know it starts going into into the next lunar phase. Well, in the movies nowadays, let's say with the Twilight series, well, people can transmute into werewolves um, at the drop of a hat. They don't need the full moon anymore. Uh, the storyline changes and evolves, so that people now, at the drop of a hat, can transmute. Into a werewolf. So you see, this is nothing but garbage. Because if we go by the howling, you know, and this full moon nonsense, well, they shouldn't have been able to have transmuted in the howling at the top of the hat. But the story says it says. Notice how they evolve to fit the audience, to fit the romanticized bill, to fit the always oh, gotta feel sorry for these poor victims here and all this
0: and they've talked a little bit about a a natural occurring herb known as wolf's bane now wolf's bane is supposed to be used by witches and sorcerers for different things but the wolf's bane <laughs> herb is on record as being an herb uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm misquoting it maybe it's not an herb maybe it's a flower but I thought it was an herb and it's supposed to have powers that will kill a werewolf
1: um, well, again, let's go back to the original storyline. You needed something silver that um, would kill um, a werewolf. The reason it was silver, interesting enough, do you remember how I told you that Nimrod is denoted by a, a golden sun and that the original moon goddess, um, Semiramis, was denoted by a crescent silver moon? Yes. Well... It would take something of the goddess, something in silver, that could destroy um, such a creature, hmm. supposedly. And, you know, silver, of course, they would use silver daggers or, in the more modern times, silver bullets. There are underground, so we say, column clubs for now, for lack of a better word, or gatherings. There are people who meet together, you know, um, werewolf clubs and all. And um, these, I will tell you right now, extremely secretive groups, and people who try to, so to say, infiltrate them or try to get information on them or things like that, a lot of them end up dead. There was one particular reporter I will never forget. It. She was slowly becoming part of an underground werewolf society, and um, she was she was gaining everyone's confidence. She was. It was believed that she was, you know, her lives were good enough that they were accepting her as one of them, so on and so forth. And, um, one night, um, um, I, I'm not exactly sure of the whole of what had happened, but, um, she had vanished and she's never been seen of again. So, I, I for any person out there who's want to seriously consider you know, joining any of these societies, don't do it. I am warning you. Don't do it. These are not the type of people you want to try to mess around with. They will kill you.
0: Okay, so we've, we've talked about some of the Hollywood side of things, but let's talk about the actual Order of the Werewolf. Tell us a little bit about what goes on in these underground cults.
1: Well, with um, a lot of these underground cults, um, the reason they're hidden And they're so secretive because a lot of them are committing, you know, um, murder. And I don't just mean, you know, people who are trying to infiltrate. I'm talking about they are getting victims so that they can eat their flesh and everything else. We're talking, you know, people that, you know, are really out there on the other side of the fringe of society. I mean, they're that far out there. And these are not people in the Illuminati. These are people outside of the Illuminati and they, and, and they've set up their own underground groups where, and we'll find out the vast majority of people in these groups are misfits, outcasts, people society do not want. So they turn to people who accept them and they don't care. What the price is, they don't care who these people are. They are looking for acceptance like anyone else. And at that point, they don't care what the price is just so long as they're accepted. And so you see these people banding together in these underground societies that are creating some of the most heinous illegal acts you can come up with, which is why I want people stay away from groups like that because the price usually will be your own life. And, and let's face it, at that point, Eternal salvation.
0: So the question I would have on this is: It possible? And I know that there's a lot of hoaxes out there with with everything, anything, and everything we talk about. There's going to be a number of hoaxes. We know this. But is it possible that some of the quote unquote Bigfoot sightings have been somebody spotting a, a lichen, a werewolf?
1: I would I would doubt it. And the reason is because most lycanthropes folks um, are caged. They're usually kept in cages. Unless, you know, they're needed, you know, to um, go send a message, you know, or kill someone outright.
0: So when you see one, you're pretty much dead. That's the bottom line.
1: That's generally what happens.
0: You know, and they've got these other groups out there, the Werewolf Cathedral. I mean, we've we've got a number, like you said, of these underground werewolf cults. And they tend to break off and branch off, just like church denominations. And they don't—they don't know what they're getting into. They—they they really have no idea what they're getting into. They—they uh, they go after the, the human sacrifice, the drinking of blood, the eating of flesh. And this would even go back to the behavior of the Nephilim, the giants. That you know, historically they're known as flesh eaters, blood drinkers, and it's totally demonic. We are not allowed to eat and drink the the blood and the flesh of humans, and we're not even supposed no, to drink the blood of animals.
1: See, and you see, this also became um, predominant. Um, in um, Native American society, you know, where the true Americans, Native Americans or Indians. See, there were stories um, that were prevalent throughout um, most American, um, I should say, most Native American Indian tribes um, known as skinwalkers. It was believed that their um, witch doctors, if you want to call them that, or shamans, could take the hide of an animal Um, place it on themselves, and after doing some sort of ritual, they could, if you go by the stories, they could transmute into that actual animal, whether it's a wolf, um, um, a deer, um, a rabbit, a cougar, what have you. If they if they took the hide of the animal, as I said, after performing a certain ritual and having their hide on them during the ritual, supposedly they could transmute into that animal.
0: This actually crosses over into more than just uh, a few tribes. Uh, you know, they've got different variations of the Skinwalker. I've briefly touched well, let's on put it. put
1: it this way: I can tell you stories that, right now, I wouldn't want to say on the radio. And besides that, we're almost out of time.
0: <laughs> I tell you what, Doc. Can you give us one story of the Skinwalker before we go out?
1: One quickly and. Um, There was one um, particular um, shaman of an Indian tribe who, um, because his son was unlawfully killed, I think it was someone in the American cavalry at the time, took on the um, skin of a bear and hunted down that officer and tore him to shreds.
0: And this is all done through witchcraft, rituals, and demons.
1: Demons are involved.
0: And there's really no other way to look at it. I was, I was looking at some videos getting ready for the show. I was watching some short videos on YouTube, and there's this guy on YouTube. I'm not even going to give him credit, but uh, he has a he has a video blog he does about international Satanism, something like that. And when you look at this guy, when you just you see him talking, it's almost like it's not even a human in there. It's like you're looking into the eyes of a demon. Mm-hmm. And this is this is what yeah. we're seeing. And the interesting thing about it is this guy said that, you know, before he joined the Church of Satan, he said, Well, I was, you know, I was just pretty much an atheist and I want to take the atheist Satanist view. But then he started taking on the, the Anton LaVey view, oh. what they call the you know, the Levesian, the Levesian Satanism. But it was interesting because he's talking about how he started off as an atheist. And this is the thing is these people who are their religious outcasts or their social outcasts. They cling to whatever they can get and they can feel powerful in. They can feel wanted in. And that's what's happening here. And before you know it, you get so heavily involved in this. You get so embarked in this. You know, It's not you anymore. You're completely taken over by demons. And I could see it in the guy's eyes. His eyes even had a weird shape and slant to them. It was very odd. But the warning out there, the warning that we're putting out there tonight, don't get involved in this. You should even be careful when researching this. Because what happens is you get into a rabbit hole and you start getting all this information and what's attached to this information are these demonic spirits. They're going to try to attack you. It's not a safe place. Not everybody should be doing this type of research. It comes with a cost. You know, I had people write me and tell me, oh man, we love the show you did about your trip to North Carolina. And I'm thinking, okay, well, praise God. But you know what? It came with a heavy cost. That trip cost me a lot. It was a major spiritual war. You know, people... People, they tend to want these experiences, they want to learn more, and they want to get close to the fire. But it's dangerous.
1: No, 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 never. You know, there is, you know, God gave us the ability of common sense for a reason. You know, one of those reasons is you don't jump into the fire. People, especially Christians, are so curious about the occult world, and they don't want to take the time to study it so that they can be prepared for such a spiritual event. These things can kill a person. Yeah. Very easily, people can end up dead because of their stupidity and curiosity. And I'll say it like that because it is stupid. Absolute Stupid to try to think you're just going to walk into the enemy's camp and you're going to come out singing Kumbaya, my Lord. It doesn't work like that. No, no. You're supposed to be learning these things first before you even have a chance of being able to deal with it. And even then, you don't go in looking for trouble. If something happens, yes, at that point, you could very well be prepared to deal with it properly, as the scripture outline. But you don't go into the enemy's camp thinking you're going to charge hell with a water pistol.
0: That's exactly right, and I was actually just about to say that. That's the mentality nowadays. They want to charge into hell with a water pistol, and they don't realize what they're up against. They don't really understand the truth of God's word to have a full understanding of the power of God. But it only gets harder. You start digging deeper into these topics, you start researching this stuff, the war gets harder. you know and Doc and I both can we, we can both attest to that. You know it gets way harder. You start making DVDs about this, you start doing radio shows about this. The spiritual war just gets kicked up. But you know I, we want to warn you guys also, one of the things is there's a lot of false information out there, a lot of misinformation that's being brought by so-called Christians and even Christians who don't know that they're giving they're spreading misinformation. What we want to do is try to clear up some of these things. You know, never take some of these outrageous claims by people that you're hearing at face value because you really don't know. We see so many of these things. My dad was telling me about a guy the other night um, back in the 70s, and I, I don't even remember his name, and it, it doesn't matter, but he was traveling around to all the churches. He was real popular in the Baptist church, traveling to the big churches and speaking about how he got saved out of witchcraft and saved out of the occult. And his stories... We're not adding up anymore. He started to get caught in these lies. And people were, because people were following this guy. They were like, man, we really want to hear this guy speak. He's got an amazing testimony. So they're they're traveling around. They're watching this guy. He's on television. And people are just really buying into this guy. And then they start to see his story falling apart. The things he would say at one seminar, he was saying different things at another. And they were contradicting each other. So just because somebody claims that they've come out of the occult doesn't make them an expert. You know, Doc Marquis, what's great about Doc is Doc's saying the same thing today that he was saying 10 years ago. I mean, I know because I've listened to Doc 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. I, man, before you and I were actual friends, I, I was following some of your work. I, I had some some DVDs that someone gave me. And, uh, they had, they had ordered a handful of your DVDs from your website and then they had made a couple copies for some people in the church just to check out. So yeah, matter of fact, <laughs> I can tell you the guy's name right now. <laughs> His name is uh, Tim, Tim Merritt, Tim Merritt and Scott Myers. Turn me on to Doc Marquis.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> if either one of you guys no are idea. listening. Yeah, if any of you guys are listening right now, if, if Tim's listening or Scott's listening, thank you for turning me on to Doc. He's now my friend. <laughs> so with all that said, Brother Doc, is there anything else you want to say in closing?
1: Um, I can't think of another thing to say after you caught me off guard like that. <laughs> Sorry about
0: that. <laughs> I know you don't like, you don't like us dropping names, but I thought I would drop the names of the guys.
1: I would just say, um, do what Justin said. Go to my website. We've got tons of um, DVDs, and I'm working on a whole new DVD series now, trying to expose the inner workings of all these occult groups and everything.
0: And just a teaser: the next show we're doing is going to be Volume Three on the Occult Awakening, and it's going to be on the Order of the Vampire. So I know people always comment and write me messages. Oh, what's next week's show going to be on? Well, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a little teaser. We are going to do Order of the Vampire next week, unless unless anything changes. I say Lord willing. <laughs> All right, Brother Doc, well, we can't thank you enough, and uh, I'm praying for you, and we appreciate you, and we say God bless you and God keep you until the next time we talk.
1: Okay, you take care, and God keep you, Justin.
0: Yes, sir. Have a good night. It's pretty mind-blowing to hear some of the things we've covered tonight, or quite frankly, any of the topics we cover on the Fourth Watch ever. But one thing that really stood out to me in tonight's topic is the desire to exalt oneself into a transformed state. People crave spiritual enlightenment and occult powers, which goes back to the sin of Lucifer and his fallen angels. They wanted to exalt themselves above the throne of God, and that's not an option. People can attempt it, but they will never be successful because Jesus Christ has been given a name higher than any other name. But not only do we exalt ourselves up at times, We also see a cultural pandemic of exalting and worshiping other people. Celebrities, musicians, teachers, preachers, athletes, children, or what have you. The truth of the matter is that we were created to worship. Colossians 1.16 declares that we were created by God for God. So He created us for His pleasure. It's in our DNA to worship God. But when we don't exalt and worship God... We never end up with true joy because we chase after idols. The fads and the celebrities all fade away as their flaws and scandals come to light. But Jesus Christ never fades away. Since we were made to worship, there's a void in people's lives from not knowing and worshiping God. And that void is unprecedented. It's the largest void anyone can ever experience. So the unbelieving world finds themselves worshiping other people or other things, sometimes themselves, and oftentimes other gods. But that's a substitute for real worship, and it's not the real thing. Nothing compares to worshiping the true God, the way we were designed to do. When we do what we were made to do, things work the way they were made to work. Let me say that again. When we do what we were made to do, Things work the way they were made to work. I want to draw an analogy just for a second. I have a six-year-old car. It was made with a special engine that could take a special synthetic oil blend. Because the engine was made a certain way and the synthetic oil was made a certain way, when they're used together the way that they were both created to be used, my car can go 10,000 miles per oil change. I know that sounds like a lot but the dealership insisted on this. I hadn't taken advantage of this. I had been driving my car only 5,000 miles per oil change, going to the local auto shop to get an oil change. But they weren't using the special oil that my car was made for because it was only available from the dealership. Some time had passed and I started to receive promotional coupons in the mail for an oil change at the dealership. So I finally went in and got the oil change from the dealer and I realized what I had been missing out on. I got the oil change, and I even took it for granted, and I brought my car back in after 7,000 miles of driving. The guys pulled my car up, they looked at my info, and they said, Sir, you're not due for an oil change for another 3,000 miles. I was absolutely floored with this new discovery. I was finally using my car the way it was meant to be used, and there was no comparison. It even drove better. And the reason being is because it was being operated within the standards of its initial creation. I had been going into the local shop every 5,000 miles for almost three years. I was paying too much and I was getting a cheap imposter. I'm here to tell you that exalting anything over God is a cheap imposter. And you won't work the way you were meant to work when you put Jesus Christ on the back burner of your life. I could get busy and not take the extra time to drive out to the dealership, but as soon as I take that imposter oil, my car doesn't operate the way it was meant to operate, and I have to go back to the dealership and get things in order the way that they're meant to be. Some of you listening right now have been making yourself your main focus. Whether you realize it or not, that's exalting yourself above God in your own mind. We've all been guilty of that, myself included. We also focus on so many other things, and those things tend to replace true godly worship. You see, we can worship God anytime, anywhere. God doesn't require you to move into a monastery and isolate yourself from the world, not at all. But a balanced life requires a real balance. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We have to keep our focus on the Lord and make sure that we're doing what we were made for, worshiping Him. Worshiping Him through our lifestyles, our decisions, the way we treat others, sharing the gospel, and of course, worshiping God by reading and meditating on His Word, our Bibles. I want to explain this in a way that's easy to understand. When we approach the Word of God, we must always pray first. It's imperative that we ask that the Holy Spirit fill our minds with the one true interpretation of the scriptures. Then as we read, we absorb properly. And we can reflectively pray and talk to Yeshua while we're reading his word. I mean, we're reading his word. It's his. So it's a good practice to commune with Christ while reading his word. What I tend to do is pray it while I'm reading it. For example, if you're reading a psalm of worship, just make it your prayer right there. If you're reading an epistle that covers major doctrine, just pray right there that you would live that doctrine and understand it to the fullest. If you're reading the Gospels, just take some time to praise Jesus for his mighty works and his love that you're reading about. And there's so much solid doctrine within the Gospels as well. And so just apply the prayer to what you're reading as you're reading it. This is what we were all made for, exalting and worshiping God with our lives. I want to talk about the joy we have in exalting Christ and what that means exactly. Philippians starts off with an interesting greeting in chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ. That's how they started out the letter. The first thing the authors address in this letter is their names and the fact that they are servants of Christ. Their titles declared exaltation unto Christ Jesus from the very introduction of the letter. So many people read right over the fine details, but this is a pretty important detail and it shows that the very first thing they wanted to let everyone read was their exaltation of Christ. If exalting Christ is your goal, anything that furthers the gospel will bring you joy. Paul is one of the greatest illustrations that joy is not necessarily related to one's circumstances. I know we've talked about Job and Joseph before, but Paul is a great example of this as well. Paul wrote to the Philippians from a prison cell. Yet he spoke of joy and contentment. How can someone be so content and filled with so much joy in a prison cell? Paul's life was a series of difficulties and life-threatening situations. In fact, the Lord said this of Paul, For he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles, and kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Acts chapter 9 verses 15 through 16. Yet in every situation, Paul found cause for rejoicing because he constantly worshiped and exalted God. He chose what he was going to focus on. His compelling desire to exalt Christ drove him to endure trial after trial. When Christ was exalted, Paul rejoiced. Even in Philippi, through Paul's ministry, God redeemed a businesswoman named Lydia. He expelled demons from a slave girl. Things were going great, but then all of a sudden, Paul and Silas were falsely accused. They were unjustly beaten and thrown into prison. But even that didn't steal their joy. For at about midnight, while in prison, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And it even says that the prisoners were listening to them sing and worship. Acts chapter 16 verse 25. That was such a powerful testimony to the joy of the Lord that soon afterward the jailer and his entire family believed the gospel and were saved through Paul's ministry. Even when imprisonment prevented Paul from ministering as effectively as he desired and even when others usurped his apostleship and even preached Christ out of envy and strife towards him, Paul remained joyful. Philippians 1.18 His circumstances were secondary to the priority of exalting Christ. Is that your perspective? It can be. If your priority is to exalt Christ in every circumstance and every temptation, whatever furthers that purpose will bring you true joy. Psalm 99 really paints a good picture of exalting the Lord. Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at His footstool, for He is holy. Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Not only are we to proclaim praises of worship and declarations of his awesome and majestic character, but part of exalting him is in our lifestyles. Are you keeping his testimonies and ordinances? That's probably an area that we all need to work on. I know I need to. Now, as we close out another week together, just take a moment to ask the Lord to help you maintain the priority of exalting Christ in every area of your life. Father, help me maintain the priorities, the things that really matter to you, In my life, help me to exalt you more in every area of my life. It's in our DNA, ladies and gentlemen, to worship our holy and mighty, all-powerful God and His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ Yeshua. We must strive to worship and exalt our God in all aspects of our lives as we grow each day and the grace, love, and mercy of Jesus Christ Yeshua. If you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior, and you haven't accepted His holy sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sins, it's absolutely impossible for you to have a solid understanding of His Word. It's impossible to find protection from the demonic realm and the days that are fast approaching, friends. And furthermore, it's impossible to have peace with Yahweh Elohim the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua. But here's the good news. You can start anew right now. You can repent of your sins and have the wages of your sins paid in full. Now is the time to repent and turn away from your sins and make right with the will of God. You see, the Bible declares that we don't know what tomorrow holds, so we must take action with the time that we have right now. Repentance is the first step. This means turning 180 degrees from your past thoughts Actions and lifestyles that are in opposition to the Most High God Because of Jesus Christ Yeshua and His once and for all sacrifice You can be forgiven of your iniquity and every sin you've ever committed Yahweh is a jealous God, but He's also rich in mercy And tonight, if you're willing to admit your wrongs and repent He's willing to show you that mercy right now, friends The wages of our sin is death But tonight we can receive the gift of God, which is eternal life but as it says in Romans 6, 23, only through Jesus Christ, our Lord, there's no other way to come to God, folks. There's no other way to get salvation. You can't earn your salvation by good works. Fact is, Jesus Christ is the only way. Every other way, folks, leads to hell. There's no authentic way to the Father but Jesus Christ, Yeshua. I'm so thankful that God sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross a living sacrifice, and shed His sinless and perfect blood to pay the debt of our sins and the ability to be seen as blameless before God on that day of judgment. Let today be the beginning of your communion and peace with God as you're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin putting on the armor of God and growing into an intimate relationship with Him. It's the will of God that you don't perish, but rather that you repent and enter into a relationship with Him based on His terms. If you're not sure of what God's terms are, I want to challenge you to start reading your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get one and learn firsthand what God expects from you. Christ is our only hope, friends, and my prayer is that you believe on him tonight. That's the most important part of the show and by far the most important decision you will ever have to make in this life. Amen. It's been an interesting adventure tonight, and I hope you've all enjoyed this broadcast. If you ever miss a show or would like to go back and re-listen to an old one, every show is archived in high-quality streams on my website, fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4-T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O-dot-B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T-dot-com. forthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you'll find every broadcast dated and summarized for your convenience. Be sure to scroll all the way down on each page and click on the words Older Posts to be taken to more pages of archived shows. You can also find my shows broadcasted by the 4th Watch Radio Network on Shoutcast, Spreaker, iTunes, or if you have an iPhone, iPad, or Android, you can download the 4th Watch Radio Network app and enjoy easy streaming. For higher quality broadcasts, stay tuned in via fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com for all the latest shows. Like us on Facebook and feel free to add my personal page as well. If The Fourth Watch is ministered to you and you would like to help support this ministry, you can follow the link on our website. I bid you all a week filled with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you all next week. God bless and good night. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on The Fourth Watch Radio Network.